This is episode number 251 with CEO and data scientist at Typing DNA, Raul Popa. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by our very own data science conference, Data Science Go 2019. There are plenty of data science conferences out there. Data Science Go is not your ordinary data science event. This is a conference dedicated to career advancement. We have three days of immersive talks, panels, and training sessions designed to teach, inspire, and guide you. There's three separate uh, career tracks involved. So whether you're a beginner, a practitioner, or a manager, you can find a career track for you and select the right talks to advance your career. We're expecting 40 speakers, that's 40 speakers to join us for Data Science Go 2019. And just to give you a taste of what to expect, here are some of the speakers that we had in the previous years. Creator of Makeover Monday, Andy Kriebel. AI thought leader, Ben Taylor. Data science influencer, Randy Lau. Data science mentor, Kristen Kerrer. Founder of Visual Cinnamon, Nadi Bremer technology futurist Publis Holman, and many, many more. Uh, this year, we will have over 800 attendees from beginners to data scientists to managers and leaders. So there will be plenty of networking opportunities with our attendees and speakers, and you don't want to miss out on that. That's the best way to grow your data science network and grow your career. And as a bonus, there will be a track for executives. So if you're executive listening to this, Check this out. Last year at Data Science Go X, which is our special track for executives, we had key business decision makers from Ellie Mae, Levi Strauss, Dell, Red Bull, and more. So whether you're a beginner, practitioner, manager, or executive, Data Science Go is for you. Data Science Go is happening on the 27th, 28th, 29th of September 2019 in San Diego. Don't miss out. You can get your tickets at www.datasciencego.com. I would personally love to see you there, network with you, and help inspire your career or progress your business into the space of data science. Once again, the website is www.datasciencego.com, and I'll see you there. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show today because we've got a very exciting guest, Raul Popa, who is the CEO and data scientist at Typing DNA. So what you're about to experience on this podcast is very, very different to probably anything you've heard before because we're talking about a brand new industry that is completely crushing it and disrupting everything we know about security. And this is the world of typing biometrics. So the idea behind typing biometrics is that based on how you type, whether it's on your laptop or computer or on your mobile phone, it can be established that you are you. So you can be identified just as we can, that can be done with your fingerprint or uh, with facial recognition. Same thing can be done through the patterns that you use for typing. And as you can imagine, that can completely revolutionize how we identify people, uh, the whole world of two-factor identification. And it's also a very passive process, not intrusive. You don't have to get an SMS and type in the code. It just happens in the background. And Raul Popa is the CEO and a data scientist at a company called Typing DNA that is spearheading this whole industry, one of the leading companies in the space. And today we'll get to hear from him all about this world. You'll learn about typing biometrics, what it is, how it works, uh, how machine learning and data science enable and propel this industry forward. Uh, you'll also hear about different applications, start ranging from uh, making sure students don't cheat on exams all the way to two-factor authentication for banks and other financial institutions. And the fact that Raul is both a, a CEO and a data scientist at the same time makes this conversation that much more interesting because we get to dive into both worlds. 
Uh, from the perspective of data science, we talked about pattern recognition, anomaly detection, one-shot learning, binary classification, data sampling, generative algorithms, and more. And from the world of business, we talked about what it's like to run a data science startup and going from idea to research to making a business happen. So as you can imagine, we've got lots of interesting things to cover. And before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week. This one is from Andy, who said, the five minute Friday episodes always feature an insightful look into a unique topic, meditation, the importance of enjoying the moment, how to maximize efficiency and continuous inspiration to supercharge our own careers. Thank you, Kirill. Thank you, Andy, so much. And for the rest of you guys out there, if you haven't left a review yet, make sure to head on over there on your podcast app or just go to iTunes and you can leave a review on the Super Data Science podcast. It would mean a ton to me. I would be very, very excited to read your review. All right, guys, I'm super excited about this one. Let's dive straight into it. You will learn plenty about running data science startups and how the world of typing biometrics works. And without further ado, I bring to you Raul Popa, the CEO and data scientist at Typing DNA. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And for today's episode, we've got Raul Popa joining us from New York. Raul, how are you going today? Hi, I'm fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. Uh, welcome to your uh, audience and uh, uh, nice to meet you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. It's, um, <laughs> I liked how we were chatting before the podcast that because you're based between Romania and New York, um, we we're talking about the weather in New York and it's like 17 degrees. And usually when I talk to somebody from the US, it's in Fahrenheit. So that's, that's pretty cool. How do you find like... Um, adjusting to the weather in uh, the US like when when you when everything is in Fahrenheit and you are used to Celsius I just set it on Celsius on my phone and everything is fine <laughs> I don't really know it's Fahrenheit uh, yeah. I know that I have to set you know temperature in the apartment around 70 but yeah. I don't really know what that means in Celsius <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's so interesting and it's it's a non-linear conversion or like non non uh, it's a trivial conversion from Fahrenheit to Celsius. So I I personally get confused all the time, and I just wish there was one system around the world. But nevertheless, so how are you enjoying New York? Have you been there for a long time this this time around? Um, yeah, only for two weeks. Um, used to spend more time last year. I've been here about five months. Mm. Um, the rest of the time I've been in mostly Europe and Romania. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And so you've uh, you've done quite a few presentations and uh, pitches through the nature of your business. You've even done a TEDx talk. But this is your first podcast, so congratulations! I I think our listeners are going to be very excited to hear what you're about to share. Are you excited about this? I'm really excited. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Maybe a bit nervous as well. <laughs> That's totally normal. That's very normal. All right, so Raul, tell us a bit about um, yourself. So you're running this very innovative, different business that like, many people haven't even heard of this type of technology before. And it, by the looks of it, from what I've seen, what I've read, you guys are really crushing it. So to get our listeners up to speed, please tell us what is Typing DNA and how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so... So I'm CEO and data scientist at Typing DNA, mm -hmm. and this is like this is called Typing Biometrics, a behavioral biometrics company. Basically, we look at how people type and build behavioral bi uh, biometrics uh, profiles that we use for authentication and fraud prevention. So mm -hmm. I'm more uh, like uh, from an AI perspective, I'm more into pattern recognition, anomaly detection, one-shot learning, and binary classification i know it sounds trivial but uh being able to give a yes or no answer in a fraud problem is really tough mm -hmm. and uh, the difference between 90 and 95 percent accuracy make matters a lot so the te techniques behind our technology are 
exponentially more complex than what you would typically think of using, uh, you know, for solving a binary classification problem or a one class classification problem, if you want. So, yeah. like, just that, just to, to to understand, like, from a machine learning point of view, how it looks. I think it's what we're building looks innovative from the outside. From the inside, is just pattern recognition. Uh, it's just like uh, applied to something that was was you know machine learning was not applied before or not to this uh extent okay okay gotcha and so just to that's very exciting but to, for us to get a better understanding like an intuitive understanding of how this works so let's say you're working because you partner up with financial institutions you partner up with banks other kind of companies that uh t- sure. tell us a bit about that like what, what kind of companies use typing dna services Yeah, so we're at the beginning now, uh, and typing biometrics itself is a beginning at a beginning. But basically, anywhere where you would need a another factor for authentication mm. or a another security layer other than a simple password or uh, or anything like a push notification or one-time password sent over uh, via text message, you will probably want to use typing uh, DNA. Okay. We started. Uh, we started with um, proctoring companies or online assessment companies. Um, companies like ProctorU or MindProv. That actually they they verify students when they take exams. Um, and before using our technology, they were using real people. And uh, it's more expensive like that. We help them reduce uh, people, and everybody's happy. Students can take exams faster and um, they cannot cheat as much as they did before. Okay, gotcha. Very interesting. And so tell us a bit about how this would work in the background. Let's say a financial institution, a bank, is uh, using um, typing DNA to authenticate their users. So, and I'm logging onto, their account, onto my online account. So I get to my computer, you know, I type in the address of the URL of the bank's uh, online portal, I type in my name, I type in my password, and and then I click login, and this is the point where I'd normally get an SMS to verify that it's me. How does typing DNA, where in that process does um, typing DNA come in? Where do these, you know, your algorithms start to recognize me? You don't really have to get a SMS if you're using typing DNA. That's the point. Yep. So... Yep. Anywhere where you type something like your email, password, credit card, anything, anything that you pre- previously typed, yeah, you can, you can use typing. An application can use typing DNA mm-hmm. to record the timing between the keys, how long you keep each key pressed. These are the, the kind of information that we're looking at, mm-hmm. and based on that, we build a profile that I told you about, yep. and we can do authentication right then and there, and use that as a two-factor. Also, financial institutions could use our technology, you know, for um, employee-facing authentication. Nowadays, um, for 2FA, they typically use a hard token or a push notification system. You have to install something on your mobile phone and use that. Uh, I think that's really not something um, very user-friendly. So we offer more like a frictionless solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just look at how people type. If that fails, sometimes it fails. If that fails, we can always go and use, you know, the one-time password over SMS or the push notification or anything other. Okay, gotcha. And so how how much typing is required to authenticate a user? If I just type in my email, is that enough? Or do you need me to type in, you know, maybe uh, tw- 20 words or 50 words? What What is the minimum amount of words required to authenticate somebody? So I think this is where the things get really interesting. Mm. And for, for like data scientists, I think this is where things get really, really interesting. Because like to build a, 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 a good model, you will need like 15 samples at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so 15 previous, you know, typings. So a person typing 15 times, uh, even if like you ask for the length of the, the text, mm-hmm. it, it can be like we can work on text of like eight characters or like 20 characters, uh, we found that a lot of use cases have around 28, like this is the average of use cases that we found, uh, around 28 characters, like email plus password combination, mm-hmm. or credit card name, or 
other other things like that. But also like username, password is a bit less, but still like 20, 20 something plus. Uh, usually, usually work really well. Um, and we can do authentication even with just one or two samples. And I know this is something that machine learning um, was not supposed to be used for, but we actually do that. And uh, you know, this field of one-shot learning or using very few samples to do prediction, to predict wh whether somebody is the same person or not with uh, initial um, with the owner of the account. That's that's really interesting. That's very cool. And so, how unique are these typing patterns? Like with fingerprints, they're pretty reliable. With uh, facial recognition, even more reliable. How about pa typing patterns? What are the chances of two people having the same typing pattern? Mars, this is a good question. Um, I would I wouldn't say as as. Um, I think that the technology is at the beginning, mm. and we will see more improvements in this. And depending on how much text you you got from that user, uh, if that user typed like a sentence uh, like ten times, then that you can capture the uniqueness of his typing, mm -hmm. and it will be really hard to 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 break. But if you only want to do authentication after just one or two samples, then the authentic the authentication the match will have uh, some potential error, some potential false positives or false negatives, um, uh, you know, yep. exist there. Yeah, okay. So you would say it's almost as reliable as a fingerprint when, when you have enough data to authenticate the user. Let's say 10 samples you have or 15 samples. Yeah, I say, I, I'd say that, but I'd say that fingerprints and face recognition, for example, on the other side are so public I mean, you leave your fingerprints everywhere, uh, your faces everywhere, so somebody can, you know, snap a photo of you uh, at high resolution and use that to authenticate pretty much anywhere mm -hmm. other than Face ID. Mm -hmm. And like with typing biometrics, not the same. You can ask in your own application for that user to type a specific thing that he will never type in other platforms, mm -hmm. like a random combination of words, his password, or anything like that. And to get how that person typed that kind of that exact text on uh, in a different environment is almost impossible. Okay. So we're looking at as something that has more private character, like typing pattern. So from a reliability point of view, I, I think that it, it it can be even more reliable than fingerprint or face. Wow, that's uh, I, I'm still I'm still sitting here in amazement because I've never considered this to be be a an option for authenticating well tell us well in that case um, if you so you have somebody who types in their password um, but what about like tools that teach people how to type you know like there's a whole fast speed typing learnings where you can use you know the QWERTY or the Dvorak keyboard layout to type faster and let's say somebody is using the standard QWERTY keyboard layout and they learn how to type faster so they learn those techniques for typing and now you have let's say you have a thousand people who learned using the same typing program and they're very diligent they got very good at it wouldn't they have very similar typing patterns I don't think they are similar because their size of fingers and how they use the fingers and the muscles differs so you know if if people would take the same uh, you know, running classes, would they run the same? Would they, like, their walking style would be the same? I don't think so. I think, like, it could be very similar, but still, like, like there's a lot of character in, in watching somebody typing or watching somebody walking or even speaking, like, voice. Even if you, like, um, sing at the opera and, like, other 10 singers, you, you would not maybe distinguish the, the opera voice you know, between those, but when you talk like like normal people, yeah, y your voice will be you know similar, right? Mm -hmm. So I th this is only intuition. So I'm just talking about what my intuition says. Mm -hmm. But um, from our tests, we we adapt. So for example, it's like face recognition. You know, adapts when you grow um, a beard or hmm. or wearing you're wearing sunglasses. Sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. 
so we adapt when people you know start typing faster or differently but if it's like very different then we have to fall back to a different method for authentication for example but not all use cases are about authentication we can do all sorts of other things mm-hmm. like uh, 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 making sure somebody is not sharing accounts with other people or like all sorts of things we have about 20 different use cases that we are we identified mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gotcha Okay, well, that's that's a very cool overview. So I, I hope our listeners are as excited as I am to dive into this. And I really love that you uh, you are both the CEO and the data scientist, and you actually point that out in your LinkedIn that you perform both roles in your company. And that's that's really cool. That means we can dive into the whole notion of setting up a business about a really cool idea and about some research, a data driven business. And on the other hand, you know the techniques and algorithms that uh, allow for all of this to happen for this technology to work. So probably let's start on the data science side of things. Like we already touched on a little bit of, on the pattern recognition, anomaly detection, one-shot learning, um, binary classification. What what can you share? I know like a lot of this would be propriety information and uh, that you can't share freely on this podcast. But nevertheless, what can you share with our listeners that might be exciting for them? Like what kind of machine learning algorithms are used in typing biometrics these days? What's, what's, um, what's new, what's hot, <laughs> and what can they look into if they ever want to get into this field? Well, <laughs> it's a tough question. So like, for typing DNA, I cannot go into details, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I can say, um, you know, one of the most important things, you know, greatly underestimated, not just in typing biometrics, but in any kind of, you know, machine learning applied, you know, technology is data sampling. Mm-hmm. I think, and we had a lot of misfortunes at the beginning of the of building typing DNA because we didn't, you know, address that correctly. So whenever you deal with like fraud prevention, anomaly detection, um, you always find extremely unbalanced sets of data, also mm-hmm. very noisy. So it's easy to throw away like 90% of your extra data, but it's not always an option. So like generative algorithms um, also seem to work re- really well on most, mostly all levels. I mean, regardless of what you're building, I suggest people should try to generate data as much as possible. Um, make sure you don't compromise your testing and cross-validation sets, however. But definitely generate data if you can. If you can, you know, it can help you improve your general accuracy no matter what you're building. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so uh, like a big part of what we're doing is, you know, called one-shot learning, mm-hmm. being able to predict the class just by seeing one single sample or very few ones. Uh, techniques like transfer learning might work well here. Just that there's not enough information out there about what to do and and how to do that. So I was researching a lot about how to do one-shot learning because I really wanted to make the technology work for just one preview sample or two preview samples because otherwise it's not efficient. So mm-hmm. also like since we're talking about security, so like our technology is used to prevent fraud and you know for security purpose. So a good technique is to use um, multiple algorithms in parallel, you know, stacking general generalization or blending. So, but unlike for Kaggle competition, stacking generali- generalization work well for security algorithms because it's harder to break multiple algorithms um, at the same time. Mm. You know, if you're like a hacker, you want to break these algorithms really hard. You probably know about adversarial samples used to trick traffic signs. Yeah. Probably you've seen yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, stop signs that you know you you stick some you know tape on it, and uh, all of a sudden you know self-driving cars will recognize those as you know 45 miles limit instead of you know uh, speed limit yeah. instead of stop sign, and that's a huge thing, right? Yeah. Uh, so or uh, adversarial glasses used to trick face recognition systems to believe you're somebody else. So using completely different types of machine learning algorithm. Um, and your production will help reduce the ability for a hacker to hack into your system with a sort of master key if you want. Mm-hmm. But this is something that I suggest people would do if they do anything related to like um, security or to fraud prevention or to you know to verify users in, in any way, anything related to authentication or identity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unlike Kaggle, which uh, people do blending and you know uh, stacking because you know to get a better accuracy. But here is not is not is not a, is not the um, you know here you you're not after the best accuracy. You're better after uh, you know better chance of succeeding or or smaller chance of succeeding for hackers. Uh-huh. Gotcha. That's very interesting about. Uh the comparison to data science competitions and versus the real world and different objectives. Uh, what would you say your experience with research has been in data science? So we talked a little bit about, um, you know, in competitions, you just want many models to get the best accuracy. Uh, in the real world, you want many models, in specifically in this use case, to get the best uh, security. What about research? How was your process of researching uh, this technology using data science. So I learned a lot. I, you know, took, you know, did some of the main data science online courses, tried to follow the masters, you know, Andrew NG, Joe Hinton, Jan LeCun, Joshua Bengio, you know, Ian Godfellow, so forth. Basically I read stuff that was new to data science or to machine learning and try to understand what are all these things going, you know, where are all these things will connect, where will connect uh, without a purpose in mind, like, you know, doing, you know, typing biometrics or other pattern recognition problems. I just wanted to learn more. Um, a few years ago, there were not a lot of resources, not a lot of frameworks and libraries. So you had to basically code everything yourself. And understanding the math used to great, you know, um, to great depths, it was really important. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I I never did, you know, Kaggle competitions. I really think, like, people doing that are really, like, crazy. I mean, it takes a lot of, I know a few guys who who really, you know, scored it on top of that. Uh, I know that, like, building hundreds and hundreds of models uh, and stacking them and, you know, getting rid of half of your work just to make sure, or like 90% of your work just to make uh, a small, you know, minor improvement, you know, takes a lot of time, a lot of ambition. I, I, I could have, could have never done that. <laughs> um, but one of the, <laughs> yeah, but one of the things that I really like uh, is the, you know, you have the, the winner's interview yeah. on, on, on Kaggle blog. Those uh, I really, I really like to read and I still read them. Really cool. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, from your um, research, uh, first of all, like you, you mentioned, like before, back in the day, the there weren't so many frameworks available. Uh, now that we have Tensor, and and you had to go into the math, and that was very helpful. And now that we have things like TensorFlow, uh, PyTorch, and other uh, tools that make it easier to create, let's say, for instance, in this case, deep learning algorithms, AI, would you say that learning the math is essential or people can get started faster without having to learn the math? You don't need, you don't need to know the math anymore. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you really want, or if you want to, you know, uh, develop the field, if you want to advance the field, yes, you definitely have to understand, you know, the the details, the great depth. But other than that, just to use machine learning for your like standard problems, like, you know, typical computer vision, recognize objects, you know, classify things, definitely you don't need to, to know the math. Gotcha. Okay. And then going from research to building a company. So how, tell us a bit about that process. Like what, how did that research that you were doing turn into the idea of actually turning into a company? And what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, with building a startup out of research? Yeah, I, I, I spoke to a few events about this and they, they keep inviting me to talk about this because like, it seems that a lot of data scientists um, want to make the move to, to start a business or do a startup and it's not really easy because like they're like very very good at what they do. Uh, we all know like data scientists are paid really well. Really hard to to break from that you know lifestyle and and make a company where mm-hmm. you will like work forever like twenty four seven, 
and you know you will never see like the light at the end of the tunnel get That's paid really nothing hard, so yeah eat, yeah eat, eat yeah. rice and beans live on a friend's couch very different. exactly so it's like it's really really hard uh, i wouldn't advise a lot of people to do this unless they like risk takers or there is a case where you research something and you find that you know uh, that thing that nobody you know advanced it enough or like like i found typing biometrics so i mean other there are so many fields where the research didn't go you know deep deep enough and you just know that you have a a maybe a, like you, you can say it's a breakthrough but maybe it's just something that you saw in a different domain and you just apply that and you realize hey i can use this to advance this field and then at that point you can re you can actually use that to, to to create a company or to start a product and actually solve the problem mm -hmm. or you know i think that's like a calling if if you have that why not start a company right mm -hmm. okay can you do you think somebody can start a company while they have a normal 9 to 5 job and you know see how it goes test things out i don't know a lot of people who who manage to do that i think it's really hard sometimes and if you have a safe net to you know to go back to like you know normal job you would you would just do that uh -huh. so you have to sort of like let go that job and you know leave like on whatever you have saved or very or, or like just raise some money uh you know find co-founders and start a company it takes a lot of courage but you know the good thing is that you can always go back to work for like uh goldman sachs or whatever company <laughs> pays you yeah yeah you, so you kind of have to like burn the bridge to force yourself like what's the saying if we want to if you want to take if you want to take the island burn burn the boats right something like that so there's no way back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. yeah. Some of the challenges as data scientists starting a company was uh, were around, um, you know, creating production level, you know, uh, uh, software. So basically, you start with the research. You have models. You have, you know, stuff like that. You would, you have to turn that like we turn that into an API mm -hmm. that is completely scalable, can do millions of transactions, uh, you know, in a day. So to do that, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not complicated, but it's not easy science. Uh, it's a different type of science than data science. So it takes, takes a bit of uh, ambition to, to learn that through. Also, like for what I did, I didn't start with a lot of data that I got from like university or something like that. Um, actually, so gathering data, lots of data was really, really hard. And if you're a startup or if you're building a startup, it's almost impossible to do it with small data. Mm -hmm. For example, I started with 200 friends. I sent a link to type and asked them to type some text and do a very quick survey. After that, I, I went to my Mensa group, you know, the High IQ Society. Um, um, nope. And, I, you know, there's a high, high IQ Society called Mensa. They oh, have over no, I haven't heard of them. 120. Yeah. So, um, I, I I am member of that. Okay. Um, and asked them I asked them to help. I, I told them that I can build a classifier based on the people typing patterns that I that will try to differentiate between, you know, regular people and high IQ ones. You know. And you know, they, they loved it. So I got about four hundred people to take the test and complete the survey with things like, you know, age, gender, personality, profile, stuff like that. Yep. So after that, I used the data to build a fun test. It wasn't enough data to build authentication systems, but like 400 people. Mm -hmm. So I built a fun test titled, um, find out what your typing says about you. Mm. And I put it out there. And uh, you know, in like two days or so, it got viral. So people started sharing uh, to their friends and forums and you know, personality forums. And it got on Reddit at some point. And you know, uh, one morning I woke, I woke up with about 20,000 samples in my database. <laughs> wow. And you know, the server was down. So, yeah, so I, I realized that, hey, I have more data than, than, than needed to start my research. But, you know, to get there, I had to trick people, you know, to, to, to help me. Well, and, you know, a trick, I wouldn't say trick, you just like encourage them in different ways, you know, like you, you gave them back something that they... Yeah, actually, I created, I, I created some algorithms yeah, uh, that, you know, trying to classify things like gender or yeah. age or IQ based on based on how you type. 
yeah. you know, there is some, there are some similar characteristics between people that share the same um, attributes, like um, age, for example, yeah. and you can see them typing in a different way. Uh, we got like 60, 70% accuracy, so not a lot, but for a fun test was really fun, and people were really intrigued, you know, you know, a lot of people like that, they, they didn't get the right, you know, MBTI profile um, name or like uh, they got different gender and they like they were questioning their gender now. And it's just a fun <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah gotcha. So you yeah. linked it up to the M, uh, Myers-Briggs personality uh, test, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. smart. That's pretty cool. So basically what you're saying is that so when somebody is moving from being a data scientist and having an idea, maybe even doing some preliminary research on that idea, seeing that they can break into a field and really revolutionize something, and then moving from there to actually building companies, a lot of challenges along the way from uh, productization uh, to gathering data and probably lots more other challenges. Maybe we'll talk about a couple more, but you need to find, you need to be prepared for them and you need to also think outside the box to solve something like in this case with the data situation, like the fun tests, I think that's that's a genius idea and will get you like data because data is value, right? Data is valuable. You can go scrape the web for data. Uh, you can go buy data. You can go do a fun test like that uh, to get the data. But you need to consider all of these things before you dive into starting a data science business, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I think being able to to think creatively about how you will gather your first data, or like to think in steps. First, you do this, then you do that, but then you have real data to do your your research. I think it's really important. Gotcha. You know, you can partner with some other companies or you know universities. Sometimes you can do that. Other times, it's really really hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what, what are some of the other challenges that you faced when starting your data science or um, typing biometrics uh, business? Well, there are like business business problems, uh, stuff like you know you need more people, or you need people to help you with you know marketing and research and like research on the marketing side, market research, sales. You have to meet investors. It's really hard. So you meet investors, they want to see someone who's, you know, who knows everything, who's able to sell, who's able to do research, who's able to do, uh, to manage people and everything like that. You know, I'm not saying I'm not that person. I'm saying nobody is that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's really hard to be, you know, a perfect dude to do, you know, to, to turn a machine, a machine learning algorithm to a business basically. Gotcha. Okay. So you okay. have to read a lot of things about that, and you know, you know, internet has plenty of links. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can totally attest to that. That you, like, running a startup is not just about an idea. You need to also have a business mind, or like, start learning to have a business mind. And that's completely different. Or maybe you can partner up with somebody, right? Like you can stay the data scientist and somebody else can be uh, your sales director or your business development director, something like that, uh, chief operations officer, somebody who's going to help you grow the business. That's also another thing to consider another. That's what I, that's what I actually did. So I, I, you know, asked two friends of mine that were helping me, you know, as a, you know, from the sides. To, to join the project, Christian and Adrian. And then we, um, one of the things that we did is apply to accelerators. So we got to to Techstars in New York City last year. Mm -hmm. And that really helped us, you know, with investors and, uh, you know, helping, you know, cover the gaps that we had at that point. And, you know, really, really valuable for us. Also, like, we're from Romania. Yeah. Uh, we started in Romania, you know, Eastern Europe really hard to to build something uh, from that you know side of the world and you know uh, get global exposure so we had to move to US to do that yeah yeah gotcha so now you're half half US Romania based um yeah, yeah I'm half half right gotcha and the team as well like you got some people in the US some people in Romania 
Yeah, but we do like R and D is still like Romania uh, yeah. for, for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, I really think like Romania has a lot of talent. Yeah, definitely Romania has a lot of talent. And um, well, I wanted to ask you though, how do you find combining your role as a data scientist and as a CEO? Because from previously from our discussion, I think everybody got the um, gist that you're actually very involved with the algorithm and you do quite a lot of research. You're very up to date with the, the technological part of things. And that requires a lot of time from, from how I can imagine it. At the same time, running a business requires a lot of time as well. Meeting clients, doing marketing, making business decisions, and scaling, growing, and things like that. How do you find combining those two? And plus, as well, I know you're... Uh, a father, you know, a husband. How do you combine all those things? Where do you find the time? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't have a prepared answer for that. Uh, I think the, you know, the key is that I really like the data science part. So it's like a hobby for me. Mm -hmm. um, the CEO part or like the founder part, you know, makes sense because, uh, you know, I really think typing biometrics can make a difference. And I think in the future, people will type more than ever. You know, like today we're communicating through voice or typing. But I think if you look at young people, you know, I have a daughter, a 11 years daughter that you mentioned. And she would like every time I talk to her, even if we're in the same room, she would WhatsApp me, right? Yeah. So this, as, <laughs> you know, this. In the same room, yeah, she would so WhatsApp like, you. Yeah, so it's like you know, asynchronous type of, you know, communication in which like you, you type whenever you want, the other person replies whenever they want. So like, it's, I think this is the future of communication. If you look at young people, we know that it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's no brainer. So I had to do this because I realized that, you know, we will type more than we used to and, uh, with devices and with other people. And I think having a layer of, uh, of security based on typing is really a key to, to a better world in a way. So I have sort of motivation to, to, be, to be a CEO and, and founder, and I have a sort of love for data science, so it's like a hobby or something that I really like to do. And, you know, I have to find time for every, everything, and, you know, of course, family as well. Um, you know, sh like for short bursts, you can, you know, you know, work like, you know, full days on, on whatever you need to. But, you know, eventually you have to find time for family and friends also. I think, you know, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And so just to clarify, because I only realized this now when you were talking about uh, WhatsApp and um, typing on your phone. So typing DNA and in general typing biometrics is not only designed for keyboards and computers. It can also work on your phone. Is, am I getting that right? Definitely. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a different thing. It's yeah. a different thing. It's not the same thing. Yeah. But we're not focused only on desktops. We also have algorithms for mobile phones. And on mobile phones, we think we're even better at some point. So mobile phones, you uh, you, you, you move them a lot. You you have pressure. You have a lot of things at which you can uh. do when people type. So, yeah, we're, we're quite good on mobile phones. And so, we have a few important projects on that. So you basically like... Um... You can also measure not just the, the typing speed and how in some phones how you know how much force people apply to press the buttons, but also how the people are holding the phone, the orientation in space. You know, like as you said, how they're moving their phone as they're typing, like those types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we we can we can do those as well, mm -hmm. and I think um, you know, like as I said, people are using you know whether it's mobile phones or or desktops, it differs a lot for the use case. So I think in enterprise, if you look at what what people use to, you know, to perform the tasks, it's probably always gonna be like uh, the, the computer. So uh -huh. we rarely see people using mobile phones or tablets uh, in their office for office bus business. Yep. So it's like for personal, you know, rather than, than business. And on the other side, you have, uh, you know, you know, personal communication and entertainment that typically, you know, you use mobile phones for that. So we have to kind of, uh, you know, understand these both. Or when we're talking about banks or financial apps, um, you know, people are using both mobile and desktops and a lot of focus on mobile later. And so people are checking their, like their bank accounts over, you know, mobile phones. 
and they're typing in some pins or some other sensitive information that we can look at how they type this and, and use that for authentication and you know flagging uh, suspicious uh, users and so forth. Mm, gotcha. One um, of the fears that entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs to be have, so data scientists that might, may have even come up with an idea, a really genius idea that can revolutionize a whole industry, one of the fears that stops them from starting a business is um, the fear that as soon as they start, and if it's proving to be working, a large company can come in like with lots of R&D, lots of uh, funds, budget, um, with presence, huge user base. Um, we're talking likes of you know, Google, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Microsoft, can come in and just copy the idea. Not necessarily copy or like do so, cop, like create a solution for the same problem. So you've identified the problem, uh, but somebody else can come in and, and do the same thing. So how did you feel about that when starting your business? Did that hold you back or not at all? And how has that played out? Do you have any major competitors at the moment? So what you're saying is a real thing. It happens every time, right? But um, so think about this. Like this is not a bad problem to have. It's actually a very good problem to have. So Google coming in the game, just saying, just dropping a name, mm -hmm. right? Means validation for our technology. Mm -hmm. Means that this is mainstream now. Means that anyone who started you know, working on the technology like three or four or five years ago has a leg up, right? Mm -hmm. Means that other competitors of Google will want to buy a company like, or, you know, or investors will say, hey, we want to fund this company because like this thing is mainstream and they have a leg. So I think it's definitely a good problem to have. Um, clients will want to use, you know, the technology that we're building rather than, you know, other, other, you know, alternatives that are not typing biometrics. Of course, some of that competition will go to Google in that case, mm -hmm. probably most of it. Mm -hmm. You know, but when, when a big uh, player like that comes into a new space, I think they create a large uh, sort of ocean that didn't exist before that you can benefit as well. And, you know, ev everyone in space will benefit at some mm -hmm. point. Gotcha, gotcha. Like that. So basically you're saying it's better to have um, I don't know, 1% of a huge pie than 100% of a tiny pie. Yeah, I know it sounds less than, like 1% <laughs> always sounds less than 100%, but yeah. like, yeah, I think what you said is like, like true. Yeah, like you imagine like if you have 100,000 users and you have 100% or you have 1% of 7 billion users, better, <laughs> 7 billion is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, very, very cool. And so how's, uh, how's this industry right now? So tell us, because we, we didn't talk about this, how long have you been uh, working on typing DNA and has this industry or this technology matured from your perspective? What's the competitive space right now? So, yeah, I'm working from like 2014 on this technology mm -hmm. as a side project. So I Actually, I researched like for like two years. Mm -hmm. I actually started working in 2016, but I already like kind of connected most of the dots and I knew that um, I can do it, sort of. Mm -hmm. Or so I had the conviction that I, I can pull this up. Mm -hmm. um, regarding like the competition space, um, a lot of people tried to create algorithms, uh, recorded typing patterns. Uh, there are patents that are like, almost 30 years old in the space. Um, yeah, I mean, like now they're a public space, right? Yeah. Uh, so like people tried all, all sorts of things, but without machine learning, you know, statistical, small, statistical models, you know, are not really accurate. And, you know, you can use them, but you know, like, like the, before I started, like the, the most valuable technologies that were built around this, this thing, you know, needed you to type like for a day or two in order for for the technology to be able to recognize you with like a 70 something percent, 80 percent accuracy. Um, yeah, we can do almost like we can do zero, zero false positives with three samples of you typing in your email and password 
for example, wow. I think, or like credit card. Uh, and th that's like rare, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't want to replace passwords. We just want to, you know, to to have a second layer of, of security that can go with anything that you type. Mm -hmm. Also, we have an algorithm that works with uh, when somebody types anything. Like you can type in a chat window and just chat with somebody else. And we'll look at uh, what you're typing statistically. And we can say, uh, from, like then, uh, I mean, we create a statistical um, profile of your typing. So we don't rec uh, record exactly what you're typing, but only how you type letter A, letter B, stuff like that, right? Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, the averages, the standard deviations, that kind of thing. And we build a profile. And whenever you're typing again, we can, we can do matching. And that's the machine learning bar. We can do matching and we can say whether it's the same person or not on any text when you type completely different things. The downside of that is that you have to type about a tweet length. But mm -hmm. imagine you go to a country where you don't leave. You like it's the first time you get to Vietnam. Yep. And you know somebody steals your computer, your mobile phone, everything. <laughs> As you it try happens. to get online. Yeah. Yeah. You, you and you try to get online to to connect to your people, to your friends, to you know ask for some money to you know, uh, you know be able to go back to your home, wherever hotel, wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, you will need a new computer. You will try to log in to Gmail, let's say, from a new computer, new location, uh, without your phone, without your YubiKey, whatever you have, your password. You don't remember it because it was in your one, you know, uh, you know, one pass, whatever last pass, whatever you're using for password managing. So all of a sudden, you're in front of a computer, unable to log into your accounts or to talk with your people, your friends, and ask them for like help. And that's like really a situation, uh, situation when we, when you're when you're in, into that, you will just like have no escape. One thing that Google can do, for example, or or anyone like any application, big application like that, Facebook, or any, anyone like that, they could ask you to type like a sample, like a, a sentence, whatever, mm -hmm. and they can use that along with, let's say, a question that they 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 can ask you, you know. Stuff like um, when did you log in from uh, you know last time from where things like that, so they can combine you know pseudo information with with typing biometrics and other things like that and be able to reset your account or you know that can you know, enter yeah. your account. I think yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's really yeah, fantastic. And they are definitely great. Uh, so it's actually bringing a lot of convenience, a lot of even in this case, certainty to the world that if you go traveling and you lose all your things, you can still get in touch and log into your accounts. Because I think that's, for me anyway, that's that's always a a concern. Like when I'm in third world countries and so on, like exactly what do you do in that situation? And moreover, as we discussed before, typing biometrics brings a whole new user experience where instead of waiting for that SMS, instead of you know, or doing those capture, you know, like when, when they're showing you images of a bus and like I, I, ooh, I find those so time consuming when you have like nine, like a grid of nine images and you have to, or an image broken down into nine parts and you have to point out where there's a bus or where there's a car to authenticate yourself or like to show that you're not a robot. Like, I think that could be also removed with typing biometrics and definitely a whole new user experience that can be introduced to the world. That's, that's a very cool example. I wanted to ask you another question. Um, what is the future? What future do you see for typing DNA? Do you see, like, I, I think it's a very cool, you know, thing to think about and always wonder about. Uh, so do you see an IPO sometime in the future? I know it's probably very early stages at, right now. Um, do you see the company growing and, I don't know, like, building teams around the world, getting clients in lots of different countries. What, what is your vision for your business right now? Well, I'm not thinking of IPOs at this point. I'm really small. So we're a startup. Uh, we're like, we raised a seed round uh, two months ago. Like, uh, like we're, I, I believe that the technology uh, can become mainstream and can save a lot of situations. It can be used to protect all sorts of accounts and you know businesses and and money and assets. 
Um, you know, we have a lot of crypto exchanges, crypto wallets, crypto projects that want to use our technology for like making people safer when they do transactions like that. Uh, you know, we are happy that we can play a role in this entire scheme uh, and we can make um, authentication and, and communication easier so you don't have to go to uh, friction in order to authenticate or to, to, to send some important messages or, uh, you know, to deal with private data. Uh, on, on, the, on the how big the company can get, I think, um, it really depends on whether the technology gets adopted or not mm-hmm. um, on, on a wider scale. Uh, we believe like that's a clear use case. Uh, that there's, there are clear use cases on which um, the company can grow to multi-billion dollar size. But um, it all depends on how the audience and how the market will receive that. Mm-hmm. We do have good science, though. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome. Well, you know, hopefully it all goes really well, and um, this will be the first interview that you did <laughs> just before your company becoming a billion-dollar company. Um, uh, before we finish up, I wanted to ask you, from everything that you've gone through, because I think your journey is very exciting, from data scientist to research to founder and CEO to growing and the business and disrupting a whole new space, what would you say has been your one biggest learning? Something that you can share with our listeners out there who are data scientists who might be considering starting a business, who might be considering staying in their current positions or you know, progressing with their careers in data science. Nevertheless, what is one learning, something that you've um, found very useful for yourself in your life that you could share with them? I think like data scientists are typically very intelligent people. And so I think like typical intelligent people have this problem of overthinking. I think by, by far this is like the biggest problem that, you know, collectively data scientists have, all that I know. And, you know, also like on the other side, entrepreneurs are rarely overthinkers. Usually uh, they, they, they uh, are more opportunistic kind of, you know, optimists that, you know, think that things will somehow solve by themselves in the future, you know, and this is why they start companies. They do a lot of things like that. So making the switch between those two, is really, really hard. And the key is to, um, to like, first you have to be less anxious, less to overthink less and I think to do that you have to be more relaxed you know, like in a fight like I, I had a so I have a mentor um, uh, Kevin O'Brien from Greyhorn and actually this is this is like uh, his advice so whenever you're entering like uh, the ring to to box with uh, with an opponent you know you can be that stiff you know kind of rigid opponent that you know uh, you would fear at first right but you know that you see that there's a lot of fear on his face as well. Or you can be that relaxed guy who just enters the ring, you know, by knowing, you know, things will work out. And by by being laid back, you will be able to spot, you know, um, the other person mistakes. Because like people make mistakes all the time. If you relax, you can do if you you can do that and you can, you know, use those mistakes mistakes to to get an an advantage and i think that's really important like things that you can learn from when you want to turn into an entrepreneur from a data scientist relax that's that's really important uh you know become curious about things that are not really as important and you think they should be like you know do more things for fun you know get out of your comfort zone stuff like that I think that's really, those are really important things. How do you relax? Yeah, as I told you, like I become, like I am a curious person. So I like to learn things about all sorts of things. So sometimes I, when I'm really stressed about something, I find a topic on which I I want to learn more. And I always want to learn more about something, you know. Mm -hmm. So 
trying to do that, you will focus on something new. Uh, you know, entering that learning mode, really, really valuable. Uh, and, you know, in two, three, four hours, you know, learning a, a, a something about something else that you like your normal life, you will just find yourself in a comfortable position where you don't don't see, you know, the risk anymore. You don't see the pressure anymore. And you can think clearly. Really important. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's fantastic advice. Thank you. I think that's even... I'm going to take that on board as well. I, I tend to overthink a lot of things as well. And yeah, good, good advice. On that note, we've uh, slowly approached the end of this amazing podcast. Uh, Raul, thank you so much. And before I let you go, uh, can you tell us a bit about where can our listeners find you, connect with you, uh, maybe follow your career, maybe if it's some uh, business owners, then get in touch about trying out typing DNA or maybe if some data scientists then uh, that are looking for jobs that might be interested in this space and looking for oppor- job opportunities that you might have what are some of the best places to find you so typing DNA.com mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot of demos there a lot of information uh, our our record uh, recorders for typing patterns are actually open source so if you have another project in typing biometrics you want to use these for like I don't know, detecting whatever and and be true how people type, you know, use that. Um, you know, you can contact me on Raul at typingdna.com or R-A-U-L at typingdna.com. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean. Awesome. Is LinkedIn okay as well? Yeah, LinkedIn is fine. Gotcha. Raul Popa at LinkedIn, sure. Gotcha. Okay, uh, awesome. And guys, make sure to get in touch. And one final question before we finish up today. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners to help them in their careers and life journeys? So I don't recommend, you know, data science books, typically. Um, I recommend uh, online courses. But one book I recommend for everyone doing data science is Black Swan from Nacinta Lab. Mm-hmm. Also, the last books from this author, like Anti-Fragile and Skin and Game, touch the essence of um, the rare asymmetries that we find in a real world, um, you know, and how these may lead to positive outcome. I think these are like extremely satisfying books for me as a, as a da- data scientist. Gotcha. Awesome. So that's Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, Skin and Game. Um, yeah. Great, great advice. And... On that note, thanks so much, Raul, for coming on the show. Very, very exciting podcast. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as well. And uh, best of luck with Typing DNA. I hope you change the world. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So there you have it. That was Raul Popa, CEO and data scientist at Typing DNA. What a discussion. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. We went into... First of all, the world of typing biometrics, how crazy is that? That blows my mind just just by typing in my uh, login and password a couple of times, I can then be identified in the future as uh, myself. And that is crazy. And as you can imagine that, or from what we discussed in the podcast, there are plenty of applications and that can make our lives easier and safer in many, many ways. Also, it's very cool to learn both the data science aspect of things and the different approaches, techniques, algorithms that are used in the space, as well as setting up a startup around the data science idea. So if you have a data science idea, maybe now you have some better ideas of what is coming up for you, what to expect. My personal favorite part of this podcast, something that stood out to me the most was uh, the creative ways of collecting data that Raul mentioned on when they needed those patterns, how they created that fun tool for uh, people to use to learn a bit about themselves, you know, their personality types and things like that based on their typing patterns, and that allowed them to collect data. I think that was a a very out-of-the-box type of thinking type of idea. Um, And on that note, uh, make sure to connect with Raul, and you can find his uh, URL to his LinkedIn, as well as all other materials that we mentioned on this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 251. That is superdatascience.com slash 251. 
make sure to hit up Raul on LinkedIn. And if you know anybody who is looking to create a startup in data science, who has a really cool idea that can be empowered with machine learning or data science or any other data-driven technologies, then make sure to send them this episode and maybe they can cut through their learning curve and get some really cool ideas from here. And on that note, thanks so much for being here today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.